next few remarks are not in the message that you have in front of you. It's an explanation of why I am teaching this series. Now, we're continuing the discussion on the power of positive confession, which is based on Apostle Frederick K.C. Price's book by that same title. Now, as I say, you can look up because this is not, what I'm gonna say next is not before you. When I say that the message is based on Apostle's book, I want you to know that the message is taken directly from the book. Now, I have been teaching here at Crenshaw since we were at 96th Street, and I've taught quite a few lessons. When I look back, I'm amazed at how many messages I have taught. Uh, let me say this about those messages. They were all what I call original messages. In other words, they were messages that the Holy Spirit had directed me to teach, that I researched myself and did. This message is taken directly from Apostle Price's book, The Power of Positive Confession. If you don't want to hear me teach it, get his book and read it. <laughs> I'm teaching this message directly from his book. I am doing it so you can get the content of the book, you can get the word that's in the book, the ideas, and the personal experiences of the apostle that are contained in the book. His experiences are so illustrative for us. They are such an example for us to follow because it has to do with applying the word. Now, you know, my last series was entitled, Why Do We Study the Word from the Bible? With a subtitle, How to Apply the Word to Our Life. This book by Apostle Price is an excellent example of why you study the word and how to apply the word to your life. And that's why I'm teaching it. So it's a good follow-up on that series. Now, in many ways, I see Apostle Price's book as what I call autobiographical. Now, it was not written as an autobiographical uh, work by him, but there's so much of him that's in it, so much of his experience in it, that I see it as autobiographical. Being that it is his journey that led him to be a believer and doer of the word. Believer and doer. It's not enough to just believe the word. You've got to be a doer of the word. It stands as a model, if you would, of how we can take the word, apply it to our lives, and achieve some measure of the spiritual and material en enrichment that Dr. Price achieved in his life that we have seen over the last 40 years. Now, I say the book is essentially autobiographical in that it shows us, in part, the apostle's journey in applying the word of God to his life and circumstances. We have here an example of, number one, the word applied. That is, the word put into practice. We also have where it shows us, through his written word in his book, the promises of God manifested in a person's life, that life being his life, a person that we know, we can see, we can touch, and we can relate to. Now, when we read the Gospels, we have a Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, Luke, and when we get to John's Gospel, we have the great mystical insights given to us by Apostle John. When we read the various letters of Apostle Paul, and his experiences in the book of Acts. 
we have the evolution of the gospel of Jesus Christ as explained and defined by Apostle Paul. In fact, other than Jesus himself, and I think you all know this, Apostle Paul did more to form and shape what became Christianity than any other person on earth. And if you say that the New Testament actually begins with Romans, which is what we subscribe to, we learned that from Apostle Price, it doesn't begin with Matthew and Mark, Luke and John because Jesus was alive. You can't have a testament until the testator dies. Jesus was alive during that time. The acts are the acts of apostle. That's not the beginning of the New Testament. The New Testament actually begins with the book of Romans. And so if we take the book of Romans and go up to right to the edge of, of uh, Revelations, then Apostle Paul certainly wrote the great majority of the New Testament. Now, in reading this book, The Power of uh, Positive Confession by Apostle Price, and the other books that he has written, to me it's like adding a new book to the Bible. And in fact, that's what I did. I added a new book to the Bible. And it's called The Book of Fred. <laughs> Subtitled The Book of Application. In other words, what Apostle Price did, he took what these people that I just mentioned, the various apostles, the various writers of the Bible, he took the word of Jesus, he took the teachings of Jesus, he took the word of God, and he applied them to his life. So I call it the book of application. And that's what it's all about. As I said, it's not enough to hear the word, it's not enough to believe it, it's not enough to think it's a good thing. If you don't apply it to your life, you will reap very little benefit from it. And so that's why I'm teaching this book because it has to do with his application of the word to his life. Now, first Apostle Price did what believers are told to do. And you don't have these scriptures because I wrote this late last night because I thought you needed to get this introduction. And you can turn to uh, James, Towards the end, close to Revelations, you know, you have James, Peter, John. First chapter in James. I'll give you a chance to get there. James 1. And we're going to look at verses 21, 22. Apostle Price did what we're told to do as believers in James 1, 21, 22. Verse 21 says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and this is what I want you to get. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Receive with meekness. Now, I won't get into a discussion of meekness, but let me tell you, it's not talking about being lowly and humble and walking around with your head bowed down. That's not the meekness. Meekness really means emptiness, meaning empty yourselves of all of the misinformation you have of the inflated ego you might have, or the belief that you might really know something, empty yourself of all of that and receive the implanted word of God. Verse 22, and it starts with but. And what does that mean? It means after you receive the implanted word of God, don't stop there. It says, after receiving the implanted word of God, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Very important. And this is what Apostle Christ did in this book. He was a doer of the word. 
Second, Apostle Christ did what the believers told to do in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. I want you to look at that. It's a one-line verse that you may not have even heard before. You, you hardly ever hear this. I mean, I've taught on it before uh, at 96th Street or included it in the message. Simple line, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, prove, your Bible may say test all things, but the original uh, King James says, prove all things. It means test all things, hold fast what is good. What this means is that what you learn in the Bible, what you're told in the Bible, that God promises you, gives you, what you're told about who you are, what you have, and what you can do, put it to the test. It says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. So again, if you don't put the word to the test, I don't know how much value it will have in your life. Prove all things. As a matter of fact, let me say this. I don't know that you could accept what's written that you read as being true to you unless you prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Prove all things. So in this simple verse in 1 Thessalonians 21, the Christian believer is being urged to put the word of God to the test. That is, to test or prove the promises of God, the gifts of God, the exhortations, the commands, all of those things that I taught about in the series on why do we study the word from the Bible. In other words, apply the word to your life and your circumstances and see if they are true. That's what Apostle Price decided over 40 years ago. And it's partly reflected in this book, The Power of Positive Confession. He put the word to the test, including, by the way, the words from Malachi 3.10, which we cite before all offerings. Malachi 3.10, where God says, prove me now herewith. And he's saying, prove what I say about offering, about giving, about tithes and offerings. Put me to the test. Give. Give your tithes, give your offering, give, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you won't have room enough to receive. Apostle Price put this to the test. And guess what? He received and has received and continues to receive an overwhelming return on his blessing. As you know, the apostle started out by giving 10% of his income. He and Dr. Betty's income annually. Today, they give nearly 50%. I think it's about 46%. They actually give that away to various ministries, to various charitable groups, orphanages for education and so forth. They give almost half of their income away. He put it to the test. He put it to the test. And the return has been overwhelming since he started. I've traveled with the apostle uh, down through the years. I've been at gatherings where at the end of a gathering, people will come up in line and somebody will just put their hand in his pocket. They're not trying to get his money. He doesn't even know what's there. When he gets home, it, has, it could be a check for $20,000. It could be money is always coming back to Apostle and Dr. Betty because they have planted so much seed. They have given. Ellen A. quoted uh, the word which said, 
give and it shall be given unto you? Well, it's not that, it's not, it's not that one. It's, it's one that says, he who gives sparingly shall reap sparingly. Well, he who gives nothing shall reap. <laughs> it is so true. Now, I'm in a unique position to teach this message about Apostle Price because I can speak from personal experience. I had a front row seat to all of these life-changing events that happened in his life. I was at his very first sermon. I think, he, I think Dr. Betty and I are the only two people you can find today still alive or still coherent that heard his very first message. He was a pastor and minister for 17 years and as he says, got his backside beaten every day, not once a day, but throughout the day. In debt, could not pay his bills. Now this is a minister of the gospel until he came into an understanding of this truth that we teach here at Crenshaw Christian Center because we learned it from him. And that started changing in 1979. And ever since 1979, it's been this way for Apostle Price by learning, believing, and saying the word of God. And that's what this lesson on the power of positive confession is all about. So that's why I'm teaching it. Uh, I'm teaching it because we're told something else in the word, Hebrews 6.12. And some of you will think of what that is right away, but take a look at it. And then we'll get back into the message. Hebrews 6.12. When you're there, say you're there. Hebrews 6.12 says this, it says, that you do not become sluggish. In other words, that you do not become lazy but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's Apostle Price. Through faith and patience, he inherited the promises. Now, this is not telling you to imitate Apostle Price, as so many other ministers and individuals have tried to do. They thought they needed, if they dressed like him, if they got an automobile like his, if they, if they even spoke like him, you know, that that, that's what imitation is. No, this means imitate his faith. Imitate his patience. Patience, another word for patience is endurance, meaning that what you want and what you need may not come overnight. You have to be patient. Through faith and patience, inherit the promises. So that's what the power of positive confession is all about. It's not his whole story but it's a significant part of it. And, it. and it's significant for us in the sense that you can read that book, understand that book, and understand the importance of applying the word to your life. The, the understand the importance of confessing the word, of saying the word, believing the word, standing on the word, doing the word. Then you can inherit the promises. So let's get back to the lesson. You can now look at today's sheet Now, I'm in the second sentence right at the top. A key scripture that under, did I use that much time? Yeah. 
strike that introduction and let's start over. <laughs> My, I, I thought it'd be a couple of minutes introduction. Anyway, a key scripture in uh, the word of God that undergirds this power of positive confession is a familiar statement we see in Proverbs 18.21, which says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, it's important to see what it does not say. It does not say that death and life are in the power of the mind or the power of the thought, although positive thinking and a sound functioning mind are vital to our overall spiritual life and physical health. As I pointed out in part one of this message, there's a school of belief that holds that thought and thinking are the key to either success or failure in life. This belief forms the core of what's called the law of attraction, which says that your thoughts are what attract to you the things that come into your life. There's no doubt that the things that predominate in your mental thoughts can greatly impact what comes into your life. And I'm going to give you an example of that uh, from the Bible. You're all familiar with Job. You're familiar with the statement that Job makes in Job 3.25. You have it right there in front of you where he says, For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. Let's look at this for a moment. We see here in Job chapter 1, it's in chapter 1 by this, all in chapter 1, that he feared and dreaded that his seven sons would sin and curse God, and that as a result of their actions, he would lose everything. He talked about this. He worried about this. This was on his mind, which means this is what he was thinking about much of the time. Job's fear and dread are what he focused on, that is, what he thought about so much of the time. This thought, in turn, dictated what he did and said. We see in Job 1.5 where... Job says this, it may be, I'm quoting Job, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He said this constantly because, we know he said it constantly because he was continually offering, burnt offering sacrifices for his sons to atone for their possible sins. Job's fear was that Joe's fear, which was a thought he harbored in his mind, became the magnet that attracted the very thing he dreaded. This thought magnet translated into what Job did, the sacrifices, and what he said. What he said is that it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God. Evidently, his three daughters were good. He doesn't bring them into me. He had seven children, three daughters, and seven sons. But he's certainly worried about those sons. So, which may have some relevance today. So there is no question that thinking helps shape our speech and actions which help bring about results. In this example from Job, we see how Job's fears and dread cause him to speak death to a situation instead of life. Based on Proverbs 18.21, the power of positive confession encourages us to develop the habit of speaking life and not death to our life and circumstances. When we confess, I say what God says in his word about our life and our circumstances, we can be certain that we are speaking the words of life. In this way, we are using successfully the dynamic law of confession. Now, I pointed out before that Jesus was a perfect example of one who practiced the art and power of positive confession in speaking and saying only the words of the Father. He only spoke the words that the Father gave him. We see this in John 
chapter 8, verse 28, where Jesus says this, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you know that I am He. This is John 8, 28, for those who are listening in. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. We speak life and not death when we follow this example set by Jesus and speak the things the Father has given us in his word, his word in the Bible about our life and our circumstances. Now, Jesus lets us know that these words of the Father are life. And he does this in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. You have it there before you. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, where Jesus says this, verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, command is word, words, what I should say and what I should speak. 50, and I know that his command, again his word, is everlasting life. His word is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Again, through his command, which is his word, God has given us the words that we should speak and we can know, like Jesus, that God's word is everlasting life and not death. Now, in using the power of positive confession, we are saying and agreeing with these words of life that God has set forth in his inspired scripture in the Bible. But to be able to confess or say what God says, you have to study the Bible, find these life-affirming words, learn them, believe them, speak and confess them. And you can only do that by your study of the Bible, which we encourage you to do here in our Bible studies in these Sunday morning messages. And we encourage you, obviously, to study the Bible at home. Now, last time I quoted several statements made by Apostle Price in his book that helped to shape our understanding of this dynamic law of confession that was so instrumental in transforming Apostle Price's life. Apostle Price writes this, and I, I gave it to you last week. God has designed his system to work by his word. That is, or that is what the Bible is for. And that's why I taught the message. Why do we study the word from the Bible? God has given us his word so that we can know his word, so that we would believe his word, so that we would say or confess his word, so that he would confirm his word in our life. He confirms in our lives his word that we confess. That is the way God's system works. To repeat, as believers, we are encouraged to know, believe, and say the word of God so that he can confirm his word in our lives. Now, I told you last time, and I'm going to go over it again uh, this morning. Mark 16, Mark chapter 16, verses 19 and 20, where we see how God confirms his word. You have it right there in front of you. Mark 16, verses 19 and 20. 19 says this. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, them being the disciples, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. You know we're speaking of Jesus, and that's where he is today. Verse 20. And they, again the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now, again, notice in verse 20, 
where it says the Lord confirmed the word preached. It does not say he confirmed the disciples doing the preaching. God confirmed his word with accompanying signs. The word was spoken to preach first, then the signs followed. In other words, if you want what the word in the Bible promises you, speak, confess, say, and believe that word first, and the signs or the receiving follows that. Now, when you understand this scripture, you can understand this next point I make here. And I make it because people ask sometimes when they know about a reputation of a certain pastor who preaches and it seems that uh, many of his members are doing very well and so forth and so on. Understand what I'm going to say next. What this scripture that we just went over makes us understand is this. You can see why individuals may be blessed when they confess and apply God's word that they hear even from a teacher who himself may be a sinner. The teacher may not be right. The teacher may be a sinner day and night, but he speaks God's words. And if you believe God's word, not the speaker's word, God's word, and apply God's word, you can reap some benefits from that. Why? Because God is confirming his word. He's not confirming the teacher. It's important to know that. Now, that's why Apostle Price says, check out the word. He says, don't check me out. Check out the word for yourself. See what the word says. This is not the gospel according to Apostle Price. This is the gospel according to Jesus Christ. Now, reflecting on his, his experience of victory and success that began, and I can pinpoint that day, it began, that year at least, it began in 1979. Apostle Price says this. Remember, up until that point, he'd been a pastor, a minister for 17 years. He says this. He says, it was miraculous, the change that took place in my personal life. As a result, I am committed to the proposition that this, meaning this law of confession, is one of the most important truths that God has revealed to us in his words. And again, that's why uh, I am teaching on it. Now, to review, the law of confession is revealed in the word stated in Mark 11:23, And we're all familiar with this scripture, Mark 11:23, which says this. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, in this law of confession stated by Jesus, you find the will of God. What is God's will? With respect to this, the will of God is that you have to say it with your mouth and believe it in your heart without any doubt. As a result of doing God's will, Jesus then says this, he or you will have whatever he or you says. Jesus does not say, notice this, that you will have whatever you think or whatever you need. And I can add, you will not necessarily get whatever you cry for, plead for, beg for, lay prostrate on the ground for, for five straight days and so forth. You'll have what you say. He says you will have whatever you say. Amen. Now, not only do we have, thank you for that, that's the first amen I heard today. <laughs> you can't even buy an amen in this, from this crowd. Now, not only do we have a statement, this statement of, of God's will by Jesus in this scripture, but we have here in Mark eleven twenty three, 
the fact that Jesus is enunciating a law. The law is this. For assuredly I say, these are the words of Jesus, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, to simplify it, I reduced it to a formula. Now, if you think that I'm just simply repeating what I did last week, you will, if you have last week in front of you, which you don't, you will see that I changed the formula a little bit. Last week I had S plus B equals A, which is correct. Saying plus believing equals achieving. But I like R better. Saying plus believing equals receiving. Uh, that's the formula. That's the law. Saying plus believing equals receiving. Now, as I pointed out last time, since this is a law, it is inexorable. All laws, spiritual laws, all natural laws, gravity being a natural law, they are inexorable. This may be a new word to some of you. All that word means is that the law works all the time and it's impossible to stop. That's what inexorable means. It works all the time, it's impossible to stop. Now, it's working whether what you say is negative and harmful or whether you say something that's positive and beneficial. That's what I mean by working all the time. It is working with you if you're saying the positive and beneficial things. It's working against you if you're saying the negative and harmful thing. The law is working. Now, because it is a law, it will immediately go to work to produce in the outer what you emphatically say and believe. That's what Job did. He emphatically stated and believed that his sons, he didn't even, he didn't even quite frankly, didn't believe that they may have sinned. He actually believed that they, because you know, they were feasting all the time, six days straight. He said, they must be up there sinning. <laughs> so this is what uh, he emphatically believed, and it came to pass. Now, you have to be careful because it'll go to work to produce in the outer what you emphatically say. You've got to be careful about saying things like, and I've heard people say this, even about their own marriage. This marriage is doomed from the start. Or something like this. I always get overlooked for promotions at work. Or whenever I get my feet wet, I always catch a cold. I heard that all my life from the older folks around me or I will never pass my final history exam or the math exam or any exam or the promotion exam and so forth. What happens is that with your mouth, you are using the S plus B equals R law. That's saying plus believing equals receiving law to establish an instant law for yourself with respect to what you say. In other words, you're setting up an instant law that's blocking whatever you need. In other words, if you say, there's no way that we can get this done. I just can't see it. What did Yoda say in, uh, in Star Wars? He says, I can't believe it. And that's why he didn't see it. In other words, you remember the, that big heavy uh, aircraft was being lifted from, I don't mean Yoda didn't say it. That was uh, Luke Skywalker said it. Yoda was doing this and the plane was coming out of the water. And what did Luke say? I can't believe this. Well, that's why he couldn't do it. You've got to believe it, so forth. That, that's a good example. It just came to me just now, even though I've got the characters mixed up. That's why the warning is given to us in Proverbs 6.2. Proverbs 6.2, which says this, 
You are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. You become snared or trapped by the words that come out of your mouth in so many ways if you're not careful. Saying negative things distract from the truth of God's word about your situation. God's word tells us, and Elvin repeated it both ways from the Old Testament and the New Testament this morning, by his stripes we are healed. But you can negate the saying by saying something like this. It looks like I have the flu and it's going to be hard to shake it and so forth. Because you're confessing to having it and how tough it is to get rid of it. Now this is the kind of trap the words of your mouth set for you that Proverbs 6.2 warns against. To repeat what I said last time, what you do with negative speech is give Satan an opening to use what you say against you in the court of life. The way Satan works is to constantly feed your mind with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that play on your fears about being or becoming sick. Satan cannot put an illness on you. You, you have to know this. He cannot make you sick, but he can use the words of your mouth and fears in your mind to pollute your mind with the idea of getting sick until it becomes a reality. As a believer, we have to develop the habit of speaking life and not death to our lives and circumstances. And that's why Apostle Price wrote the book, The Power of Positive Confession. Speak life and not death to your life and circumstances. When it lines up with God's word, the power of positive confession can change your circumstances in a positive way. And of course, that's what we saw in Apostle Price's life. Develop a habit of speaking God's positive words of life, and you can have what you say. That's the bottom line. You can have what you say. This is the meaning of Mark 11:23, 23, where Jesus stresses the importance of saying. And I gave this to you last time, and I'll give it to you again. Uh, again, repeating Mark 11:23, Jesus is speaking. He says, for assuredly. For assuredly means what? Absolutely, without a doubt. No doubt about it. I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, and I put one in front of says there, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, I put a one before believes, that those things he says, I put a two in front of says here, will be done. He will have whatever he says. So you notice that says has three. This is a ratio on the next page. The ratio between believing and saying is three to one. Jesus mentions believing only once, while he mentions says three times. This is his way of stressing the importance of saying or confessing what we want. The bottom line again is that you can have what you say. Now we can have what we say as a bottom line from this law of confession, but Apostle Price points out that this truly remarkable law that God reveals through the words of Jesus is so greatly misunderstood. And you may be familiar with a couple of these things I'm going to say now. There are those in the Christian church, other, other pastors, other ministers, who attack Apostle Price and his teaching, and they call it the name and claim it bunch, or the grab and bag it crowd. Apostle says he gladly accepts the name because it is true. It is name it and claim it. And he points out that for more than 30 years, that's when he first wrote the book, I would say it's now over 40 years, Everything that he has truly desired, he has named it, claimed it, and guess what? He got it. Apostle goes on to point out how naming and claiming it is so much a part of our everyday life. 
For example, when you purchase a large item at Sears or some other department store, you will receive a claim check to present at will call where the large items are delivered for pickup. When you go to will call, you had better name and claim what you ordered or you may get nothing. You name the red bicycle in the corner and present your claim check to claim it. Similarly, if your rich uncle dies, and I've been the executor of a lot of wills for people, if your rich uncle dies and leaves you a million dollars in his will, which he told you he was going to do, when you are notified about the time and place for the reading of the will, you had better go and name and claim the million dollars that now belongs to you. If you don't go and name and claim it, you won't get it. In a similar manner, you can name and claim what God has said you can name and claim in his will for us that is written in the Bible that we study. Remember, you can have what the word says you can have, you can do what the word says you can do, and you are what the word says you are. And we're gonna discuss all of these at a later point in the message. You can have what the word says you can have, you can do what the word says you can do, and you are what the word says that you are. And there's more. Uh, this is also where the power of positive confession comes into play and intersects with your confession of faith. As I stated last time, it becomes a real act of faith for people to accept that believing is seeing, and I think I stated that correctly. Uh, uh, I think I said believing is knowing. No, no, uh, seeing is knowing. People used to say seeing is believing. No, that has never been correct. Seeing is knowing. In other words, and I asked this before, how many of you believe that I'm standing here teaching this morning? People are reluctant to raise their hand. No, you don't have to believe it. You know I'm standing here teaching. So seeing is knowing. Believing is seeing, as I state here. And what you say, that is what you name and claim, is what you get. Your believing and confessing is based on your believing and confessing what God says about the situation in his word. A true confession of faith always lines up with and agrees with the word of God. When your confession agrees with the word of God, then and only then will you receive what God has promised you in his word. The critics of name and claim it, uh, uh, the teaching of Apostle Price and other men of God, because he's not the only one who teaches this, they infer, and that should be infer singular, not what it is, they infer that you can name and claim anything and it will happen for you. Apostle Price has never taught that. He has never espoused that. From the very beginning, he made it very clear what he was teaching. He has taught us that you can name and claim, that what you name and claim has to line up with God's word. When you go to a will call, you just don't name and claim anything that you see in the inventory. It has to be something that is named through the number on your claim check. Well, the number on your claim check is a word of God in the Bible. You can name that. When you go to the reading of your rich uncle's will, you cannot just claim anything in his estate. He might have a mansion and 50 acres of land. You can't claim that. He only gave you a million dollars. You can only claim the million dollars that you are a named beneficiary of. Beneficiary of. Well, we're named the beneficiary of so much in the word in the Bible, and we can claim any of that that is designated for us by God. Now, in terms of apostles' name and claimant teaching, he makes it clear that you just don't arbitrarily go off and name and claim any old thing. You cannot, for example, claim John X for your husband if John X is legally married to someone else. <laughs> but we have seen that done. 
you cannot claim XYZ property if XYZ property is owned by someone and that someone has not put XYZ property for sale. The picture can change, of course, with terms of property if the property is put up for sale. Now, if XYZ property is put on the market for sale, you can then claim this property in terms of being the successful buyer or otherwise acquirer of the property. That's what we did for the property at 96th Street in Central Park West. When the owners First Church put the property up for sale, a group of us marched around the church, we laid hands on the church, and we claimed the church. The church was for sale. We weren't claiming that they give us the church, we were claiming that we would be the successful buyer. The church was sold by bidding. There were a number of bidders. We became the successful bidder. And I think a lot of it emanated from the fact that we named it and claimed it, and we constantly stayed in prayer about affirming what we had stated that we believed. And so we ended up getting the church. To claim someone else's husband or someone else's property is to engage in the sin of coveting the person or property. You will not only fail to have God confirm your actions, but you will be guilty of the sin of covetousness at the same time. What regulates the law of confession is God's word. If God says you have or can have it in his word, you can claim it. The law of confession is part of God's system that helps to regulate the affairs in our life in an orderly and non-conflicting manner. In other words, where we don't go around claiming somebody else's property, claiming somebody else's wife or husband, claiming somebody else's church for that matter, and so on. Uh, now, I quoted Apostle Price earlier in this message this morning where he talks about God's system, and then let me read it again. God has designed his system to work by his word. Remember I just said God's word regulates this law of confession. God regulates the system by his word. That is what the Bible is for. For God gave us his word so that we could know his word, so that we would believe his word, so that we would say his word, so that he would confirm his word. This is the way God's system works. God's system requires us to know, believe, and say his word so that he can confirm his word in our lives and circumstances. God will not confirm just anything that comes out of your mouth, but it will confirm his word if his word comes out of your mouth. Apostle Price has always made that clear. Apostle Price reminds us also that there are two ways to understand the ways of God, in other words, how God operates. One is by reading and believing his word, and we certainly urge you to do that. The second is to experience God's word. There should be a time somewhere in your life where you actually experience what God said in his word. If his word is true, if it's valid, and we certainly hold fast that it is, if you do what he says, it has to produce a tangible result in your life. Somewhere, sometime, it has to produce a tangible result in your life. Apostle Price says this, by operating in the power of positive confession and observing to do God's word, I have received everything, I underscore everything, that I have ever personally desired. This is the apostle speaking. I have always made sure, this is a proviso, that my desires were consistent with a godly life, and I always made sure that what I desired, I could find a basis for in the word of God. Now, remember what Apostle Bryce just stated. I always made sure that what I desired, I could find a basis for in the word of God. Now, let's explore this. Some Christian, many people, some Christian believers actually think of desire as a negative thing that may not 
be pure because it may be corrupted by too much personal passion. But that is not what the Bible says. Reading Psalm 37.4, that's Psalm 37.4, we're told this, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God actually wants to give you the desires of your heart. But how do you delight yourself in the Lord? You delight yourself in the Lord by taking great pleasure, spending time in studying, meditating, understanding, believing, and saying God's word. That's delighting in the Lord. If you do this, the word says, he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, here's an example. I'll give you this example and we'll close out today. So you desire to own a BMW automobile. The first step is to spend time in delighting yourself in the word, as we know Apostle Price does. This is why I taught the recent message on why do we study the word in the Bible. We study the word of the Bible because we know that serious study is delighting yourself in the Lord, as urged by Psalm 37.4. The next step is to find a basis for your desire in the word of God. As Apostle Price said, he says, I always find a basis for my desire in the word of God. Now, you already know from Psalm 37.4 that God wants you to have the desires of your heart. Now, you desire a BMW car because you just landed a job in an isolated region of the state that is nearly impossible to get to and get back home by public transportation. So you need a car. So you look to Philippians 4.19, which says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You have a need for a car. And, and Philippians 4.19 says, my father, Father God will supply all your need. There's nothing in the word that dictates the kind of vehicle you, you should want or desire. So since you need a vehicle, why not desire the one that you cherish in your heart? If it happens to be a Cadillac or a Maserati or a Bentley, you can do that. But in this way, God has promised to supply your need. Your need is for an automobile, but you can desire a particular automobile because nothing blocks you from doing that. In this way, you can marry your desire with your need based on the word. We've said that God's word regulates the law of confession. You have found something in the word that deals with both your need and the desire of your heart. So you can, you can confess your need and your desire for a BMW car and thank God for supplying this need and giving you the desire of your heart. This becomes your confession of faith for the car that you, you will need to make daily until you receive it. And I'm going to end because the sign says time is over. I'm going to end it, but you have the rest of this message with you. You can take it home and read it, and then we'll come back to it next time.